Greetings, friends. My name is Weston Nakamura from Blockworks Macro in Tokyo after Asia markets closed. Welcome to the Market Death Podcast, bringing you global market commentary and analysis from the Asia Pacific trading session so that you know what happened overnight. We have three things to discuss today. Number one, market price action commentary on the Japanese yen, particularly the sudden 1.4% rally in the yen or drop in dollar yen that had occurred on Friday and continues to this day. Um, and what may be behind this sudden yen strength and this turnaround. Okay, and then separate market price uh, action commentary on the Chinese yuan and this whole saga of, you know, priority focus and urgency out of Beijing to stabilize the currency in the immediate term, okay, as that whole thing continues. And then finally, just to follow up and some you know, additional thoughts and some of the latest developments around this leadership shakeup underway at the People's Bank of China, the PBOC, the Central Bank of China, for which, amidst this leadership reshuffling that I had discussed at length last week, it appears that since then, and even still to this moment as far as I can tell, there seems to be some chaotic confusion as to who actually is currently heading the Chinese Central Bank, and ultimately doesn't even matter anymore, okay? Now, in terms of these like shorter-term price action in the currencies, in the Japanese yen and the Chinese yuan, respectively, over the last uh, few trading days, so they actually are being driven by independent and sort of different idiosyncratic market forces for the short term, which is why I'm dividing them up. Okay, so let's just quickly address this 1.4% intraday drop in dollar yen from Friday. Okay, that was indeed a very standout move amongst the major FX pairs. None of the other ones moved to that uh, degree of significance. Um, and in fact, for the week, yen rallied the most since March of 2023 of this year. Okay, and just to remind you, mid-March of this year was amidst the insane bond volatility period in which you saw front-end U.S. Treasury and German boon yields drop by you know a full percent, 100 basis points or more within days. You saw 10-year JGB yields get cut in half in two days. Okay, so this current yen strengthening move was or is significant. And it very well may have marked a turning point for dollar-yen upside for this current leg of the move. Not forever, just for this current leg of the upside in dollar-yen as of late. Now, this happened on Friday at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, right when U.S. labor data came out as a kind of a mixed picture, right? We had payrolls that came in below estimates, unemployment rate down. We had wage growth above expectations. And so that we therefore, we got a sort of a mixed market reaction accordingly, right, in Fed funds futures. So now they're fully pricing in 25 basis points for a July FOMC hike while pricing out a bit of the post-July hikes that were previously priced in. But what's happening in the yen is more so a market technical move of certain price levels triggering huge and immediate price swings. As you can see, this sort of kind of like flash crash and recovery, right? But that volatility spike, that had tr also translated cross-asset. So as you can see right here, this is the two-year U.S. Treasury yield um, upon that data release. And it also just so happened to be right around at that round number of that 5% yield level upon the data release. And when that happened, that plummets right through that 5% level and goes all the way down to 4.75% and then comes immediately back up 
for nearly like a you know almost 50 basis point round trip um, move within seconds. Okay, that is sudden and serious realized volatility occurring and occurring once again in what's supposed to be very stable, liquid, and non-erratically moving instruments like two-year U.S. Treasuries. But while the two-year U.S. Tre Treasury yield then kind of restabilizes thereafter, as if like nothing had happened, you know, that momentary earthquake actually triggered a new directional trend for dollar-yen, okay? So they just kind of split off. They are no longer really that directionally tightly correlated um, after that moment, as you can see. Um, and this is due to, specifically due to positioning in the yen, namely in yen futures and options on yen futures, for which monthly options were expiring with last trade date on Friday. Okay, so it coincided with last trade date um, for options on yen futures on Friday that had, uh, you know, a lot to do with what had actually happened in terms of price action um, in markets for the yen. Okay, so. As you can see, this like massive volume spike on yen futures upon this data release jolt, that's about $600 billion notional in volume that traded in that one volume bar alone. Okay, now, uh, as I mentioned, this was indeed last trade date for monthly options on yen futures. And so not only did a move like that trigger a bunch of options activity on, you know, strikes that suddenly went in and then out of the money and, and all that, but just generally speaking, it led to position exiting across the board. As you can see, trading volume spike and open interest drop, okay? So like this, this is just a very simple daily yen futures and options volume bar chart starting from June 15th at the very left, which by the way, June um, 15th was June Bank of Japan policy meeting day. And then after that, you see yen futures trading volume just basically get cut in half over the next few days um, following the, the June Bank of Japan day. But then at the end of June and beginning of July, yen futures and options trading volume starts to pick back up again and pretty rapidly so day by day. Why? Well, here is a price, uh, a chart of price action on yen futures, okay? And you can see that seven level price level of support. That has been a battlefield for markets to either hold or to break down from, okay? And it's not just like yen futures shorts, just outright shorts, right? It's also options, open interest positioning on strike prices for both puts and calls clustered around that seven strike level okay as per you know the dealer delta hedging activity in which they're constantly adjusting their hedges with futures buying and selling futures um and so basically that seven level had acted as both a sort of you know price magnet to to get to as well as to get stuck to or to get stuck around in terms of price action okay and so on Friday, the 7th, when that cross-asset futures volatility blew blew out like right upon last trade date on uh, options on yen futures, it forced a directional reversal move in higher in yen futures. Okay, Now, note that it could have very well gone the other way directionally, but either way, that jobs data that hit you know treasury futures and currency futures, that saw yen futures 
hold that seven level and then rally off that level and position exiting and short covering begets further short covering and position exiting. And that's what you're seeing in terms of this move upwards and this yen uh, strength. Um, see this yen futures daily volume chart rising. Okay, this goes back a little bit further. This is not the same thing as the last thing. But you see it like rising and then, you know, the downtick in open interest on that last day on Friday, right? See that like blue line just kind of kink downwards, right? That's what I mean by position exiting, okay? That's volume rising, that's open interest falling. And often and likely to be forced position exiting at that. Okay, and so while, of course, watching spot dollar yen levels obviously matter, especially like, you know, 145 when 150 on spot USD JPY, while that matters, watching yen futures levels and price action and, and volume traded matters just as much as watch, watching, you know, spot USD JPY. Depending on how crowded and the positioning on, on futures and options um, might be, especially around um major options expert dates okay but just look at this chart look at look at it year to date right if you had never looked at or if you have never even knew that spot usdjpy was like a thing at all okay and you only look strictly at yen futures then seven is, is clearly a, a key level right i mean despite the yen getting absolutely crushed all year it had still remained within the seven handle all the while doing so okay so a clear break into the six handle on yen futures would be huge, psychologically and and therefore in reality, a self-fulfilling reality, okay? And therefore, seven flat on yen futures was and is a key market level, intervention alert or not. So that's what happened on Friday with the yen, and that's what's happening now at the time of this recording. Um, this is also happening alongside U.S. yields falling as well, and I'd, I'd argue that U.S. yields are falling as a function of yen short covering and dollar yen dropping more so than the other way around for this particular pivot move over the last few trading days. Um, and this may very well continue on with directional momentum, like dollar yen downside, yen upside, right? And really the only kind of catalyst that might pause this momentum in the near term, both you know momentarily before resuming same directionally or reversing, either way, right? The catalyst of note would be U.S. CPI figures that come out this week. And honestly, if there's like enough momentum where short covering just begets short covering on momentum and there's kind of almost panic exiting at any price level um, just to get out of position, uh, U.S. CPI might not even matter, okay, like in terms of yen, yen price action and behavior, especially since July FOMC is basically a 100% done deal on, you know, hike 25, okay? So that's the yen, basically mechanical market trading and you know trading driven price action and um monthly options on futures expiry all right so how about the chinese yuan as of the as of latest right and this you know this continued effort by chinese officials to stem the yuan downside as its primary focus and priority um with very decisive act and active measures that are being taken in order to do so okay well let's take a look so Monday, right, if you just listen to the media narrative, you'll probably hear that the yuan had weakened for the day on weak China inflation data. And as you can probably guess, I respectively beg to differ that that's the reason um, for, or that's the explanation for price action on 
dollar CNH or dollar CNY for that matter. Okay, so let's just take a look at the data. Here's China's CPI and PPI that came out. Um, so consumer producer price inflation for the month of June and uh, horrendous. Okay, basically CPI came in at zero, flat, nothing. Um, this is the lowest uh, CPI reading in more than two years. And then on the producer price front, which has already been in clear deflation for months now, that comes in also worse than expectations at minus 5.4% year over year. Worse, this is the worst since December 2015. Is anybody surprised at this? Seriously, like I don't know how many times I have to kind of reiterate that weak ma macro data points out of China are long well in price into markets or markets just don't care anymore either way okay but they're they're not like market moving events in and of themselves all right so here's what happened first before any of like the specific data drop we had yet another stronger yuan midpoint fixing for now i believe what the 11th day in a row now right um i might not be exactly correct on that but either way it's more or less something like that okay the PBOC had set the midpoint for the yuan fixing at, let's see, 7.1926. Okay, so that's about 200 pips stronger than market expectations, um, which is what they had been doing for the past two weeks. Um, and they had also conducted seven-day reverse repo net draining of 3 billion yuan out of the market. Okay. So once again, they are removing liquidity and tightening, as per my discussion with Michael Howell from Crossbar Capital from uh, Friday's episode of Market Depth, in which we discussed this ongoing trend. Now, as you can see, that stronger fix did actually drop dollar yuan downwards, or in other words, move the yuan stronger, okay? And that lasted for about 15 minutes. And then... Then the bad inflation data drops. And as a result, quote unquote, as a result, the dollar yen reverses higher or yuan moves lower and then continues in that direction or so the media narrative would be. Okay. With that said, here is dollar yuan inverted in red and the Hang Seng Cash Index in white over the last two trading sessions, starting with market on open or pre-market Friday until you know, Monday after market close, okay? Now, here is the stronger yuan fix 15 minutes before cash market open, and that had moved the yuan higher because it was a stronger fix and the currency had responded to that. And then you have China and Hong Kong cash equity market open, okay? And the Hang Seng opens 2.1% higher on open, led by Hang Seng Tech as Tencent and Alibaba get fined for something over like a little bit over a billion dollars by regulators and thus suggesting that the tech crackdown is officially over and hooray and all that kind of thing, right? This was announced last week, by the way, um, and those stocks were up like 3.5% on, on Friday and again um, on Monday uh, at close, okay? But just look at the price action, okay? You have a huge move at market on open that marks the top for the day, Okay, in equities, but then immediately followed by downside for the rest of the day, well off its highs. Okay, so that is what is called short position exiting at market on open trading execution. Okay, in fact, 
you can say the exact same behavior on Friday's uh, Friday AM market on open pop and drop, as well as Friday PM session open um, pop and drop. Okay, those are not like new longs, really. That's those are exiting shorts at the market open, you know, and taking taking advantage of market on open trading liquidity. All right, so. See that the yuan moves with the cash equity index during trading hours, right? In all three cases of these yellow lines of market on open, you can see that the yuan, um, you know, when, when it's trading alone, right, there it's moving directionally upwards. But then it locks in, like lockstep with Hang Seng price, the Hang Seng index price uh, action, and it reverses downwards or does whatever equities are doing. Okay, why equities are driving the currency? Like, shouldn't it be the other way around? Or shouldn't they be independent and coincidental, as I've always said, regarding yuan price action correlation with sort of other assets, right? Indeed, that's what I thought as well, right? However, what I think that we're actually starting to see is a potentially new phenomenon for the Hang Seng Index and the yuan relationship um, in particular that's beginning to arise as of very recent. Okay, in which the currency actually can be impacted by the equity market for intraday, um, or especially for you know market open and close periods. Okay, and this is due to a new program that was just recently rolled out by the Hong Kong Exchange less than a month ago, called the Dual Counter Model, in which there's some 20 or 25 stocks which um, which will be priced and traded in both yuan and in Hong Kong dollars. Okay, and those select 20 to 25 stocks. A lot of those are like the mega cap tech stocks with heavy index weightings, Alibaba, Tencent, and whatnot. Okay, and so the way that it works is that stocks that are listed in Hong Kong are priced in and trade in and settle in Hong Kong dollars, of course, right? But now with this dual counter model, what that allows for is for mainland Chinese investors essentially with Yuan offshore in Hong Kong to use said Hong Kong-based yuan funds to trade Hong Kong stocks, okay? And thereby, they can, I guess, eliminate FX volatility because Hong Kong dollar is pegged to the U.S. dollar. Um, and so what they say is that, you know, the advantage, quote-unquote, or the, quote-unquote, incentive um, is that it's, you know, you can just trade with the yuan. You don't have to trade with the Hong Kong dollar, and there, which is basically like a proxy of the U.S. dollar. Despite the obviously glaring hole, the fact that the yuan is also pegged to the United States dollar. Either way, what this really is, is yet another way to keep capital from flight, right? As out of yuan, right? Um, as well as to try to further internationalize the yuan as well. Um, and by the way, when did this scheme start? It started the Monday before the PBOC began to go on this current daily yuan strengthening campaign, i.e. yet another measure to keep the yuan from being sold down. Okay. Now, we'll get to, into my kind of my, my all hands on deck to save the yuan priority thesis in a minute. But just going back to what I was saying about the Hang Seng Index impacting the yuan intraday price action. So this newly rolled out dual counter arrangement trading is why the yuan and the Hong Kong stock market can now exhibit correlation. And this time, you know, due to direct flow effect and sort of market makers and ARBs and their activity and not so much something that's happened coincidentally and independently um, as per everything else regarding yuan 
price action correlation, okay? Now, with regards to the yen versus the yuan, both of them together, C and H, JPY, um, you'll see that that pair will actually move in line with USD, JPY, and USD, CNH, okay? Because if CNH is basically pegged off the dollar, that's going to mirror the price action of USD. And so that's why you're going to see, you know, a similar longer-term price action uh, with USD, JPY, okay? Now let me just give a sort of an update and additional thoughts on this theme that I was discussing from last week, this thesis of, you know, China's immediate term economic priority that shifted towards currency stabilization, you know, with with the yen that had, or I'm sorry, with the yuan that had been approaching very dangerously uh, low levels of dollar yuan 7.3, right? And so as of the last two weeks, Chinese economic officials have been taking very decisive actions across the spectrum of actions to take, be it their daily market operations from setting the yuan midpoint fixing stronger, to the substantial amounts of net draining of liquidity, as um, discussed with Michael Howell of Cross Border Capital, who made you know his special guest appearance on Market Death from Friday's episode, you know to things like directing state banks to sell dollars and buy yuan, um, to setting uh, you know interest rates lower for non-yuan deposits or you know dollar. Uh, interest rates so as to make them less attractive and to, you know, prevent that capital flight and, you know, in- incentivize holding on to yuan and and many other measures. But what about my thesis regarding this leadership reshuffle being part of this broader yuan management effort, you know, rather than being a reshuffle for the sake of uh, changing in guard in order to path out stimulus policy going forward, right? Because after all, as I mentioned in last week's episode, Pan Gongcheng, you know, this this newly appointed head of the PBOC, he was the, the same guy who originally implemented the three red lines that crushed the property sector in the first place. He was also instrumental in the tech crackdown efforts in the first place, right? Both of which are now being unwound and reversed as we speak, right, on the property sector as well as the tech sector. And so couldn't he have been purposely placed specifically at the top of the central bank in order to oversee and manage a finely tuned, you know, targeted stimulus or unwind of the, you know, the the policy measures that he had implemented in the first place, right? Be it this this so-called continuity candidate that everyone's labeling him as or, or otherwise, but perhaps maybe, just maybe, he's not, you know, just there only to be what I had referred to as being a yuan stop-loss candidate, right? Isn't that possible? Sure. I suppose he he may very well be the, the continuity candidate, whatever that means or entails. But by and large, no. Okay, that, that is not the primary reason, if a reason at all, for suddenly having this guy get shoved into the top spot at the PBOC in a consolidated role while removing the familiar faces and personalities like those of the PBOC governor, Yi Gang, um, especially at this time of economic turmoil in China, along with a very critical official state visit from the United States Treasury Secretary Yellen, okay? At this moment, somehow unbelievably, China, world's second largest economy, world's largest top-down state-controlled economy, is running said economy and doing so without a clear governor of the central bank, somehow, like, seriously, who is the official governor of the People's Bank of China at this current moment? 
is it Egong still? Um, even if he is a, a, a lame duck, right? Or is it Pan Gong Shang under the assumed consolidated role that's assumed to be coming? Okay. And look, I, I don't really even care what the answer is. It doesn't matter which which of the two is the official governor of the PBOC. It's just the fact that it's not clear who even holds the official title of central bank governor is insane. It really does seem that nobody knows who or what is is doing what at the PBOC at the moment, at the, at the top level, okay? And really, nothing put this on more clear display more than Janet Yellen's trip to China over the past few days, okay? So if you take a look at what happened there, Janet Yellen, Secretary Yellen, and governor or former governor or lame duck governor Yigang, they personally know each other for years. And indeed, upon her arrival to China, she actually did meet with Governor Yigang, like right when she arrived, apparently. About what they met over, I don't know. Nobody does because Yigang, as of last Saturday, is apparently no longer a figure of any importance or of any like official counterparty representative relevance on behalf of China. Take a look at this clip of Janet Yellen's official press conference in Beijing following 10 hours of meetings over two days with the highest level officials in China, short of Xi Jinping himself. Over the past two days, I have had the chance to do just that. I've met with Premier Li, Vice Pre Premier He, Finance Minister Liu, People's Bank of China head Pan, and other senior officials to discuss important pillars of our economic relationship. Okay, note no two things. Pan, the PBOC's new head, he's named last out of all those, right? Behind Premier Li, Vice Premier He, you know, Finance Minister, all that. And then the PBOC governor. Second thing is, the other actual PBOC governor, Yi Gang, isn't at all mentioned, despite having met, also met that very trip, okay? And that order of names, the chronological order of names that she had listed out, as well as names not mentioned, all of that is very deliberate protocol following. Now, here is a Reuters reporter asking about this very matter. And listen to Secretary Yellen's answer. And we also talked about the um, head of the BOC. The Chinese government has not yet announced that he will be taking place. Is it your understanding that Pan, Pan will take over as central bank governor? Thank you. Sure. Oh, um, well, I, I don't know. I will let, you know, it's up to the Chinese side to decide and announce their decision. But I, I did meet with um, the um, acting governor or um, head of the PBOC at this point, um, and we had very good discussions. All right. First of all, Yellen clearly doesn't know the PBOC governor's name off the top of her head. Okay, and look, look, this is not because she's like losing her mind or drawing a blank on a name of significance that she should know. It's it's the contrary. She doesn't even know what the guy's official status or role is. Okay, let alone bother to learn and remember his name. And the reason is because. She's basically meeting an entirely new economic leadership team, you know, in, in China out of recent appointments um, from Xi Jinping himself from March of this year. OK, and she's therefore she's being introduced 
to, um, you know, and is identifying counterparties in accordance with who or what she's being presented by China structurally, right? And over like these 10 hours of meeting, she apparently she spoke with like Vice Premier Hu for like five of those hours. So she now knows that dude personally. She knows what he's, his, his role is. She knows what his portfolio is, what his role is, and definitely knows what his name and title and job is. But then she refers to him as the acting governor of the PBOC. The acting governor? The central bank has, currently has an acting governor? Why? What does that even mean? Was Governor Yi Gong like under the knife getting his spleen removed at the time? And so Pan was the acting PBOC governor until, you know, Yi Gang wakes up from the hospital? Or does she mean acting as in like Harrison Ford was acting as the president of the United States? And the kind of weird and messed up thing is, it's actually probably closer to the latter definition. Because A, as I said, Yi Gang is not dead or getting his tonsils removed. They met. Okay, and then B, this new guy is literally like acting as in playing a part or a role for the sake of like optics, but without any real power. Okay, now here's the thing about this new acting <laughs> or governor of the PBOC, okay? If there even is such a thing. Pan Gongsheng, okay? Despite being a kind of, you know, multifaceted leader in various areas of economic policy execution over the years, right? Um, he is, relatively speaking, he's kind of a nobody within the Communist Party rankings, given his like position, right? Alongside Yi Gang, Guo Shuqing, Pan was dropped from the standing committee in October of 2022 at the China Party Congress, and he remains excluded from that coveted, coveted club, despite being the so-called head of the central bank, okay? He is not even a member of the standing committee committee okay so it's this combination of his like kind of current roles in overseeing fx like yeah at safe and all that as well as his low party stature relative to how big of a position he's been promoted to that paints the broader picture the pboc is is not a decision-making body it's a voiceless and almost now face and nameless order execution machine controlled by the real finance heads of the country, namely Vice Premier He, who has like a four-decade-long acquaintance with Xi Jinping or something like that, Premier Li. Like, these are the guys who have the final say or the initial say on things like rate policy or monetary policy writ large. They are China's real central bankers. The PBOC is now just like a hollow body, or more so than it, than it was previously, such that the governor's role is not even doesn't even have to be filled. It's now just like that role, the governor of the PBOC is like, in a way, like the British monarchy, right? It's like a symbolic figurehead without any real actual policy power. The only difference is that the British monarchy doesn't take marching orders. Pan, Governor Pan, or whatever title Pan, acting Governor Pan, he has made a career of towing the party line. Any line, whatever that is, just blindly executing full court press, whatever the party says, Okay. So therefore, we actually can't get an idea of what the PBOC leadership will be like at all, you know, on, under his leadership, if you will, just by looking at Pan, because all he is is just a shape-shifting mirror reflection of whatever the party is doing at any given moment, okay? So there's no, like, forward look from this guy 
So if we want to get a sort of, you know, a, even a general sense of the direction of where the PBOC is going, right, then let's just look at who they just fired f- from the governor of the PBOC role, Yi Gang, okay? Something about him made him a liability because it's one thing if they don't have, you know, this new guy Pan in the role of PBOC governor immediately, you know, especially with the United States Secretary of Treasury coming. But fine, I get that they have procedures to follow with appointments, even though they are allegedly making like expedited exceptions, you know, currently underway and all that. But I get that. Fine. It takes time for him to get actually, you know, put into the seat officially. But why isn't Egan just therefore a placeholder filling the role in the meantime then? That's why I say that he there has to be something about Egong that makes him someone that they would rather have an empty seat at the central bank governor's role during a time of both extremely fragile markets and the economy, as well as things like U.S. Treasury Secretary's official state trip taking place. They would rather have, you know, amidst all that, an empty seat than have the five-year incumbent Egong retaining the placeholder role for one more moment longer, right? Why? What disqualifies Yi Gangs? What makes him so toxic? So this is a clip of Yi Gang at the Peterson Institute from April 16th, 2023. This is less than two months ago, okay? And only one month after having been reappointed to the role of the governor of the PBOC by Xi Jinping himself. Okay, he presents and explains in a pretty candid and open manner what the functions of the PBOC are um, and how they approach and operate various market policies. Okay, so this is Yi Gang, Governor Yi Gang, then newly reappointed governor of the People's Bank of China on the topic of currency and the yuan. Basically, the uh, exchange rate uh, market is more uh, market-oriented getting more market uh, oriented so that uh, uh, if you have right monetary policy and uh, then I think uh, you make sure the exchange rate is determined by the market the central bank intervene as less as possible we gradually just phase out our intervention to the market Uh, we 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 have the difficulty uh, you see if you look at the history central bank intervene in the exchange market, sooner or later, market will defeat central bank. That's that's the history of, to me, that's the history of monetary policy. So that they have been, you see, try to maintain the exchange rate stable for some time. And uh, if you go this forever, then one day, I would say that the market would defeat central bank. That's my, my belief. But uh, during the stability, if we can face out the intervention, we, we say we no longer intervene. We, we, we try to face out the intervention. And gradually, the amount and the frequency of the intervention getting less and less, almost to zero. But again, at this time, I haven't announced that we have no intervention. And we, we still, in the policy statement, we still follow the uh, IMF suggestion that under the extreme capital uh, flight situation, we, 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 we reserve the right to, to intervene. Uh, but uh, but basically the, the the fact is that uh, we can intervene uh, as less as possible, and I, I think that's that's right. That's right. In order to you have to intervene, 
you have to have a very strong team, right? You, you somebody have to make a decision. That that's what bothers me. Even though I have a very excellent team, and even even uh, myself uh, is it, it, working very hard. But that's, you see, again, it's the market. If you look at the market people here, we have many market people from hedge fund, from uh, commercial bank, uh, securities, and so on. Certainly, the market people are more smart than government officials. That's 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 always true. That's always true. They are payment. They are earning is much higher than government <laughs> officials. So that given the you see, so see the market is always right. Higher pay, you have a better quality people, right? So so that my belief is, uh, you see, you you better just face out this kind of intervention because it's it's not safe. It's it's not safe. That that is my uh, belief. Okay, so look, whatever you might think of Yigang, whether he's whether or not he's like a free markets ideology guy at heart or not, you could tell that he at least like genuinely gets it, gets the concept of it, things of, of markets, market forces, right? Right? To to say and or think that markets will not only beat centrally planned policy like o over time, but the reason that that's gonna happen is because of the invisible hand of markets at work, right? Between you know, market participants and policymakers. Markets win versus policy control because market participants are smarter or more efficient than policymakers because their compensation or their incentives are superior to that of policymakers and thereby markets attract the best and brightest by the very nature of how markets work, right? Um, but that is not acceptable ideology to the Chinese Communist Party for the People's Bank of China, you know, governor to harbor at, the, at this this current juncture, this current juncture in which the party has decided to go to war with currency market forces. They cannot have a central bank governor leading the charge when just two months ago he said that in FX markets, markets will beat policymakers because they're better compensated and they're smarter. And so if we can't get any like read or any cues out of the act of selection and appointment of acting Governor Pan, then maybe we can get s at least some idea or some color out of um, what the Chinese Communist Party is thinking in terms of monetary policy going forward via their decision to boot out Yigang. It seems to me that, very simply, China is ready and willing to pull out any and all weapons to move goalposts, to rewrite rules, and to just go out you know, all-out war against yuan sellers and to halt, like, a precipitous decline in the yuan. That's my read of their urgent firing of Egong from this role before they even have an actual replacement in place. All right, well, that's it for me. Thank you for following the Market Depth Podcast. Make sure that you are subscribed. Follow me on Twitter at Across the Spread. And on behalf of BlockWorks Macro, my name is Weston Akamura. We will see you again. Thank you. Bye.